Hello and welcome back to the Adam B and Adam G MBA show, episode two, a good two to three months after our first episode, but we're back and we're committed and I got with me my co-host, one of the all-time great guys, one of the all-time worst guys, Adam G. G'day Adam B. G'day Adam G. Let's let's get right into it. I mean, we took a bit of time off. Please. I mean, it was yes, a, it please. was a shortened preseason. You know, we all had issues with timing, but we're back. Yeah, well, we thought that the podcast was going to be a one and done. I know. Um, it did look like but, a one uh, and done. Actually, every single person who's downloaded or listened or subscribed has, and thank you to all of them. Yes. Um, has all been asking and all been commenting on us being a one and done. I did get a few one and done phone calls and texts. One of my girlfriend's colleagues, who I might add as a Knicks fan, said, "You know, hey man, you know, like it's cool. You don't have to do another one if you don't. I mean, I like the first one. You don't have to." So shout out to Steve. Here is your second episode. It's happening, my man. And we're going to start off with the season opener. You want to start with the sad season opener or the? Slightly neutral season opener let's that get, makes you a little bit happier. Yeah, man, let's get let's get the bad news out of the way first. Boston, okay, so, at Cleveland, uh, yep. six bad minutes news. In. Yes, less than six minutes yeah. in, Hayward goes down. I think it was Marv Albert with like a Hayward's broke his leg. Hayward's broke his leg, and uh, that's when my heart broke. I'm like, oh, I'm having an out of body experience again. This isn't good. Um, and just terrible, rotten luck. I think all the players on the court um, looked understandably shocked. Yeah. No, it did look um, horrible. It sounded horrible. If For those who haven't watched the highlights of the Gordon Hayward broken leg, he goes up for an alley-oop. Uh, the pass was from Kyrie, and he was contested by two other players, LeBron and another Cavs defender was in the area. Yeah, I think it was Wade. Yeah, and then when he lands, you can actually hear the snap. If you go back and watch the highlights or watch the clip, you can hear the snap from when he lands on the microphones, on the court microphones. It was absolutely shocking. His foot was gone and pointing the wrong way. Uh, It's the last thing you want to see in a season opener. And I think if you took a look at the Cavs players just in shock with their heads in their hands, um, kneeling... Uh, comforting some of the Celtics players. I think it's, it's something no one wants to see. And I think it was quite, um, you know, it was a, quite a confronting injury. It was very reminiscent of what happened to Paul George a few years back and a really terrible way for the season to start. Well, it couldn't be any worse to, I mean, when you have a new player joining a new team in a season opener like that with, you know, the Eastern Conference Championship or rematch, Mm-hmm. I guess, from the Celtics and the Cavs, and then Gordon Hayward's the new piece to help add, and there's obviously Kyrie, IT, LeBron, and the whole relationship there, and it's all kind of overshadowed by Hayward now breaking or fracturing his ankle and out for the season, and he's, his next two years are in jeopardy. I know, and the guy's just signed a new Max contract. He's going back with his old coach, Brad Stevens. Um you know, it, it really just changed the whole course of the season in the Easterns Conference, um, you know, just a couple of minutes into the first game. So the Cavs um, raced out to an 18-point lead after Hayward went down. Celtics rallied. 
Uh, I actually thought Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were quite impressive. The Cavs looked really good. Uh, D Rose did not look terrible. Yeah. He was getting up there. He hit a three-pointer right on half time, and I'm like, I didn't know you could still hit three-pointers. He looked pretty decent, sometimes shaking on D, but pretty good. Marcus Smart hit a couple of threes to get the Celtics back in the game, and Kyrie missed the chance to tie up the game with a three at the end. But really, you know, as soon as Hayward went down, the Celtics were always playing for, you know, let's get out of this building, let's get on to the next day. We've got a lot of work to do. And Brad Stevens has a lot of work to do on his, um, you know, on his playbook. I can't imagine how many plays they would have had drawn up for Hayward, how many of them they've practiced and worked into their training. And now you've got to get a start from scratch and someone's got to step up. I don't know where they're going to get another player from. They have an exception to use um, due to Hayward's injury, is my understanding, around $8 million. Who you can get for that, I don't know. Maybe Monta Ellis, but... The Celtics have a lot of work to do if they want to be competitive in the East. Yeah, and they won't now. Uh, right now, they will not win the East. And we'll go on this maybe later on in this episode, towards the back of this episode, our East top eight and our West top eight mm. um, to end the season. But looking at the Celtics roster at the moment, you have a five-man roster. Yeah, it gets uh, and quickly. It does get ugly very quickly, and right now you are counting on the fact that you have the a top five coach in the league. That is your top asset, not Kyrie, not Al Horford, and he's very wonderful defense, by the way. Um, <laughs> and that really Brad Stevens is your only hope. Your crunch time five is Kyrie, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, and Al Horford. Yeah, like... This is the issue with trading four out of your five starters. On the surface, yeah. you can say, I know, we can get rid of Avery Bradley, of Jay Crowder. We can do without Amir Johnson. Um, you know, we can move on with this team. Even someone like Kelly Olynyk, it doesn't feel like a lot to get rid of him. But then you remember, oh, look, he can contribute on defense. He knows his rotations. He can get hot every now and then. And while he's really easy to malign... Those are the players you look to for depth, and they're all gone. And what's left is yeah. a bunch of rookies, and you know Marcus Smart's overconfident three-point chucking. Well, if you want to talk about Kelly Olynyk, who would you rather have, or would you rather Kelly Olynyk or Aaron Baines? Uh, uh, you know what? I was hesitant on Baines. I didn't know how good his defense would be. I don't particularly like his hair or beard, which is a key factor in assessing a new player. But the is there Aussie, anything you do like about him? Well, uh, the Aussie has come through in a number of ways. He's brought a bit of toughness. He's brought yes, some definitely some toughness. Rebounding, but uh, yes, he's very offensive. He, he, something else that was quite offensive was that uh, we discovered in preseason that Celtics commentator Tommy Heidenson. Like yeah, something else Tommy Aaron Haynes. By the way, who's been with the Celtics since 1956. Take so, off your fucking hats, mate. He's still going. Yeah, he is, he's been with the Celtics since the 50s, and he was more impressed by Aaron Baines in the shower than probably Kyrie's first game. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, it's good to know the Aussie is packing something, even if the Celtics don't seem to be... Um, I think, yes, we can both agree their season is in massive jeopardy and 
my gut instinct is put as many minutes as you can into players like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, Maybe you go out and get someone like Gerald Green or Monta to like plug that hole and at least run a competent offense. Um, But I, I don't know, unless Hayward makes a miraculous recovery and comes back in March or April, like some wild optimists are saying, this season is gone. So, you know, get those youngsters out there, try and build in the good yeah. habits, get Kyrie comfortable, establish the leaders of the team and the attitude of the team and come back. Yeah. Can we quickly go over? I just got here on Boston uh, boston.com. Just a quick update. Um, Celtics forward Gordon Hayward underwent successful bony and ligament ligamentous stabilization surgery for the fracture dislocation of his left ankle. See, here's where it gets interesting because, you know, when you see an injury like the Paul George injury or even some ACLs, um, you know, most internet-based NBA fans become amateur doctors and like many others, I did this week as well. And you kind of quickly learn that, you know, a clean break is better than a fracture when it comes to healing and that the hardest thing to you know, uh, heal and to redevelop strength in is the ligaments. It's not the bones, it's the ligaments. Bones heal far faster than ligaments. And I haven't seen rock solid evidence of it, but there have been several reports that, you know, Hayward's ligaments are clean, they're fine, they're undamaged. It's purely bone damage. And that gives them maybe the slightest bit of hope that he may return you know, two weeks before the yeah. playoffs, much like Kevin Durant did a few years back when he was in Oklahoma City. Yeah, well, for those Celtics fans that are a little worried uh, for the future of the franchise, maybe the end of this year or next year, um, they were able to reduce, which for those who just like may have just learned is to put back in place the ankle joint. Um, and they had to do that first, but because there was no because there was no open fracture or any bone through the skin, there was no need for emergency surgery. So he was able to fly home in the splint. And obviously, he's just recently gone or underwent surgery, um, and it's all successful. And if I have a little shout out to my favourite Twitter doctor, uh, David Chow, MD at Pro Football Doc, mm. he's absolutely correct when he says athletes are bigger, faster, stronger, and jump higher. As soon as you generate more force, it equals more chance of injury. And for all the advancements we have and for players being in such great condition, um, this might be a big reason why we are seeing more injuries these days. Yeah, I think we'll wait on the timetable for Hayward, but I would imagine, as we said, Brad Stevens has got to be hard at work figuring out how you can reshape that offense without another credible shooting threat uh, because right now Kyrie is the only real one. All right, let's move on. The other opening night game, <laughs> you know, the Celtics, the Celtics-Cavs game ended quite entertainingly. I think it redeemed itself. But the Houston-Golden State game was really something because that, that shit started out very predictably. You know, Golden State raced off to a double-digit lead super fast and new acquisition Nick Young like couldn't miss from three or anywhere else for that matter. And 
it just kind of looked like a bit of a joke. They were in front of their home crowd. It looked like, looked like they picked up precisely where they left off from last year, right? It did. Uh, it looked like both teams picked up where they <laughs> yeah. left off last yeah. year. Um, both the ending to the Houston playoff series as well as Golden State. And it, turned, it looked like one of the very familiar Golden State versus other top team matchups with Golden State up by... 10 or 12 points going towards the end of the game. And usually in those situations, it ends with a Golden State 15 to 20 point win. Right. And that that is the classic script. But a couple of things like were at play here, I thought. Number one, James Harden, who is a perennial fit or fat candidate, now just kind of looks plain old fit. He looked quite fast. He was getting past players. Um, and on the other side, CP3, I didn't think was very impressive. He looked awfully slow out there, looked a little bit lost. And in crunch time, when Houston was making their comeback and erasing that predictable you know, 10, 12 point lead, CP3 was on the bench. That was the best decision Mike D'Antoni made. And if we're talking about coaching here, Mike D'Antoni won the game here and Steve Kerr lost the game. And Mike D'Antoni won the game because he was smart and because he was able to adjust to the situation and realize that Eric Gordon was better than Chris Paul for this game mm. and that Steve Kerr was arrogant. For anyone. And he was, he was an, he's, he's doing and he's showing signs of all coaches go through this and that we, when you win enough as a coach, you get to a point where you think almost any decision you make you believe almost any decision you make will be correct. And usually you get away with it, especially when you have the talent the yes. Warriors have. The players prove you right. Exactly. But when you start playing Patrick McCaw for 18 minutes and really the corpse of Sean Livingston, who is done for 18 minutes, and Jordan Bell for 11 minutes somehow, <laughs> when you start playing these players, Omri Caspi uh, somehow managed to get on the court as well. When you start playing these stuff. players, yeah. It shows that Steve Kerr is basically saying, well, I can really try anything because we are going to win. Mm. And, you know, for, for those of you that missed the game, um, it was a, you know, Houston was up by one point um, on the last possession and um, Golden State had the ball. Uh, a shot was put up, shot missed, offensive rebound kind of bubbled around and with two or three seconds left, the ball came out to Kevin Durant on the baseline for a very wide-open mid-ranger. Uh, and he put it up, and it looked good, and it went in, and the crowd went wild. But, uh, you know, the guys on TNT said, you know, you need a Golden State win. And then it went to replay, and it turns out that Kevin Durant's freakishly long limbs finally cost him something because... His long-ass fingers were still touching the ball as time expired. So it was quite a funny scene. I recommend looking it up because um, it went from like a sassy Kevin Durant shoulder shake and like, hell yeah, I hit that fucking shot to, to Houston being like, oh shit, we won. And like, let's get the fuck out of here. We won. Okay, go, 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 go. You are also forgetting that the person who made the key closeout on Kevin Durant's initial shot attempt when he faked it and then had to take a side step to then put up the shot 
was none other than, than James Harden. Fit it's again, really not game. fat. Not fat. Yeah, not fat, fit again, James Harden in a crucial final possession, showing that when he actually does give a shit, he can defend. God, his giving of shit has such a huge effect on that team. Uh, you only need to look at the end of the playoffs last year to see them just fucking collapse, or him collapse and his team in turn collapse. But if he can maintain this kind of shape for the rest of the season and that kind of intensity, I don't know what they're going to do about the Chris Ball thing, but he looked exceptional. Um, and he was one of the best players on the court. You don't think Eric Gordon was also pretty important? Eric Gordon is very, very, very important. But he's important. his importance is kind of rooted in the fact that he can distract from James Harden. It gives him more room to operate, more room to orchestrate that offense. Um, I, I, know, I know I'm fanboying right now, but newly fit James Harden has my heart. And my man, you got to keep that up. He does, but the, the unfortunate thing for him is that the person who's come across to help him is the wrong fit. And they made some, a few people have made some comments in regards to CP3 and Eric Gordon uh, having a little disagreement mid-play as the Rockets were taking the ball up and Gordon was going across half court and CP3 wanted him to pass the ball back to him to slow it down. And Gordon decided to know to beat the defender one-on-one and go to the basket, which he did, and he managed to score from it. And this is not – I don't think this is going to work. Just like I don't think uh, the Celtics are going to make the top four in the East, um, although they will make the playoffs just because of Brad Stevens. Just because the East is so terrible. Yes, that is correct. But just like the the Celtics won't make the top four – and good because the balls will hit bottom. Mm. Um, CP3 will be the wrong fit for the Rockets all year, and unfortunately, because of that, they won't win. Yeah, I I think D'Antoni has a lot of work to do to figure out how those two can be useful on the court at the same time. Uh, it's not just it's not just them. It's that James Harden is there, and Eric Gordon is also on the court at the same time. You just stretch the floor a little bit more. Mm. And if we see this, and he's always injured and has been injured every single year, so this is a big call, but if we see this confident, this aggressive, this also fit, not fat Eric Gordon, then you can't start Harden, Gordon, and Chris Paul. No, 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 I agree. And there is like a huge asterisk we should mention, and it's something that Harden mentioned in the post-game interview, and that's that... Um, Chris Paul seems to be dealing with some sort of left knee injury and you know he only played he didn't play yesterday against the Kings um, and he's kind of unlikely to play over the weekend so you know maybe maybe it's an injury thing but on first maybe it's a look, bullshit thing <laughs> on first look it was a fit thing it was a how, how do you work on this team how can you be influential that in a way that's not detrimental to the rest of the players on your team. Yeah, but has has D'Antoni ever thought about just putting his two best players in a pick and roll? I don't know, man. You, you asked me to think about whether or not Mike D'Antoni thinks, so that's a stretch. Yeah, well, he definitely, he's already admitted to not thinking about defense and never working on it. Um, but, look, I would be scared of the Rockets, absolutely, if... 
Chris Paul and James Harden as a pick and roll, as a one-two pick and roll, was their crunch time play come the playoff time. Chris Paul's got that, that thickness to, to set a screen too. Absolutely. That would scare me. I would have no idea how to deal with that if I was any opposition coach. He's, he's quite, you'd be sending it. Yeah. yeah, but you'd be sending a third man over every single time. And we know that the Rockets stretch the floor and space the floor very well. Mm. And as soon as you send a third man to a hardened Chris Paul pick and roll, which, remember, if that's against the Rockets, that means Steph Curry has to defend that. Yes, and you think about the players that would be left open in that situation and also the threat of drawing a foul on that play because all those players are going to hit the free throws. Exactly, and then PJ Tucker can spot up in the corner. Excellent pickup by the Rockets. I know, he looks great too. And Clint Capella yeah. has come on very nicely. Absolutely, and Clint Capella, Clint Capella Ryan Anderson, Trevor Reza, they have a solid squad as long as they can work out how this Eric Gordon, James Harden, Chris Paul, three into two goes. Yes, couldn't agree more. Um, let's let's swing over to the East. Um, and just touch on one more thing. Go on. Raymond Green is their most important player. Absolutely, it's not even a question anymore. What's where's this coming from? This is coming from after winning a championship again, he's the only player on that roster who is going to maintain the intensity that is needed to finish on top to get through the West and make the finals again. That's a, that's a very interesting way of putting it because they do have a number of players that at a glance just look fucking passive on the court as far as body language, encouraging other teammates, kind of jawing on defense and getting it in people's heads like... When it comes to that kind of intensity, you're right. They only have one source of that, really. Yeah, and the only other source of that that I've seen is Clay Thompson in one-on-one on defense. The way he moves his feet and the way he goes one-on-one is absolutely all-star worthy. And I thought he played. Yeah, I thought he played well last night. But we're talking about him as your fourth best player, and Draymond as your. Or those two is your third and fourth most famous or most popular or Mm. best players, really. Mm. And are we going to go through another Steph and KD switch and swap and who's the actual alpha and who's more important when really just let Draymond run the show? Yeah, like run the locker room, run the talk on defense. I completely agree with that. And actually, if anyone out there is intrigued about Draymond Green's intensity, his competitiveness, and like just how fucking seriously he takes this shit. There was an exceptional article in American GQ um, that broke down through the interview how Draymond felt um, after the infamous nut-kicking incident in the NBA Finals that kind of pivoted the way that series was going and ultimately led ultimately led to Cleveland winning the championship. And he, he was absolutely shattered at that. And getting his insight into that, getting his insight into his competitiveness and how much more he wants his team to do is really, really good. So definitely check out that article if you want to know just how crazy <laughs> that yeah, number that, is. It made, it made me really like him. He's not a player that I've enjoyed watching or felt like I enjoyed wanting to see how he's going or mm. how he's progressing or improving, but reading that article made me feel like I appreciate him as a competitor. And last night, it really showed it, is as soon as he came off with a 
And so far, we don't have any more news on his knee injury. Mm. Um, but as soon as he came off, wow, was, I mean, you, you used the word correctly. They were passive and the competitiveness was gone and the intensity was gone from that team. Can I just ask, did you get a look at that Clay Thompson doppelganger on the sidelines? With the full goatee? Yes, yes. The yes. the yeah. fat to go with Clay's fit in the fat or fit stakes. Yeah. That was an incredible... Like, that guy... I mean, the tickets must have caught a fortune. It's opening night. It's ring night. And he's gone... And he's like, made he's sure he's there. Up. Yeah, he, know, he knows yeah, what he, he's doing behind the bench. Yeah, he knew exactly what he's doing. He's been preparing all off-season <laughs> for this moment. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> looked good. Like, it's quite, quite a good... Yeah, quite yeah. a good look on him. All right. Let's go east. Let's go. Yep. Um, dark horse that I'm calling today and I'm wondering your thoughts. Are we in agreement? Well, you know... I think we're thinking the same team here? I think we're thinking of the Milwaukee Bucks. We are definitely thinking of Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. Holy shit, is he good? He's unbelievable. He's so, so dominant um, and it feels like he's still not f- fully learned how to control his powers. It's like when Spider-Man kind of started working out, had a web sling, but he still like whacks his head into a wall every now and then. Like, it's like he's got too much, too much power inside him. He doesn't quite know what to do with it. But when he gets it right, he's an unbelievable player. And I'm not sure who could guard him reliably for 48 minutes. Either. And you know the move that he's got. It's the same move that LeBron showed in game one. And LeBron has been showing more as he's gotten older. Is the. When they. On the catch, when they get the ball either mid range or out to the three point line. And that on the catch, every single defender sags off him and thinks, well, I'm, I don't respect your jump shot. Go for it. And they still manage to, within two dribbles, get to the hoop and bully their way through. The first defender and any help defense as well. Yes, and it's pure strength and size, but also and skill the coordination. Though. Yes, the coordination to to kind of keep it yeah. all together. Those long ass limbs. I mean, that's a yes. lot of man to control. But it's spin moves. It's euro steps. It's offhand layups. It's go around to the other side of the basket and finish. It's using his hips well. Him and LeBron have that one-on-one, I don't care if you're a sagging off me and protecting the paint, I'm still going to get to the basket. Yes, I'm going to get to my spot. Um, uh, there, there was some, um, I think it was slightly in jest, uh, Giannis MVP chatter uh, coming out yeah. of the ringer and Bill Simmons. I think it's kind of fun, um, but seriously... If if you if you wanted to build around a player, um, like you know, in the next two, three, four years, he wouldn't be a a bad first guy to pick. You know, he's like I said, I still feel like he's a ways of his peak. He's a ways of fully mastering everything he's got in his arsenal. But shit, like he's going to be such a dominant player for many, many, many years to come. And I think it's getting to the point where maybe later this season people are going to see him as an even better prospect than, say, Anthony Davis. Yeah, and I think this is a guy who can lead this team um, into the playoffs this year. I do believe he can lead his team into contention for a top-four spot, Mm. and they are going to be a dark horse, and they do have 
very, very, very good backup point guard in <laughs> Matthew Delavadova. Yes. Um, but, but seriously, he's not that good. No. Um, but Middle, Middleton, Brogdon, like guys like this uh, are becoming more and more reliable and they're actually quite a dangerous team and they're not as one-dimensional as the way people used to look at them. Yeah, and do you think, do you think that a Greg Monroe, who he looks like he's a he's approaching the sixth man or off the bench big man scorer role actually quite well. Mm. That's not a bad he looks way of like, looking at him. Yeah. He comes onto the court and he knows he's playing 15 to 25 minutes a game and he knows that when he's on the court, he's getting quite a few shot attempts, getting quite a few low post scoring attempts or one-on-one attempts and he's taking it well. And if you can have a big guy coming off the bench to do that, uh, it's... It's priceless for the team, considering that their starting lineup does so much damage on the defensive end as well with their length. It can help to have Gregor Munro come on and to score a few easy baskets. Yes, and you, you touched on you know, um, Giannis leading them into the playoffs um, last year. Their performance in the playoffs against the Raptors. And I know it's only round one, and I know they lost in six, but. Anyone who watched that game six will remember a team that looked completely dead and resigned to their off season and a team that kind of came back and they were they came back through Giannis, who was like absolutely gassed as hell by the end of the game. And the kind of heart they showed uh, and the, the youth of the team just kind of vaguely remind me of uh, when Oklahoma City went up against Kobe's Lakers. So I'm talking like Harden, Russ, Durant, Oklahoma City era. And they were just too young for the opponent, uh, too inexperienced, a bit too emotional and erratic. But they they vaguely reminded me of that Oklahoma City team. And I think like no one should be sleeping on Milwaukee anymore. I think I agree with you. They're a threat for a you know, a three or four seed in the East, especially with the Celtics um suffering that Hayward injury. Yeah, well if 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 everyone has a look at, or if you have a look at the Vegas lines for win totals for the season, how are they at 47.5 when the Minnesota Timberwolves are at 48.5? Minnesota is at 48? 48.5 is the over-under for win totals for Minnesota Timberwolves. Mate, should we just like go under that like today? That is, that is a lock under and a lock over for the Bucks. Yeah, jeez. Minnesota. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's why they are our dark horse because yeah. we still believe everyone is still we as in everyone still believes in Washington, Toronto, Boston more, and there are some people even talking about Miami and Charlotte as potential higher placed finishes than the Bucks, and it's not going to happen. Not when we know that this sport is all about who has the best player on the court. Yes. And it, like you can't compare the supporting cast even of Milwaukee and Charlotte or Milwaukee and Miami. Like Milwaukee, Milwaukee's a very rounded team. I look forward to watching them go deep in the playoffs, at least to the second round. I'm hoping. Um, yeah. Adam G, you you know I've always considered you one of the the wisest men I've ever known, and I've known you since I was five years old. Yes. So I want to ask you a question. Go ahead, Adam G. Is is this the season the 76ers stop being shit? You would like them to say yes, wouldn't you? I, I would like the truth. 
the truth is that they're still going to be shit. The truth is that don't believe the hype. They are not going to finish in the playoffs. Their win total through Vegas lines is 41 and a half, and it is an absolute lock under of the 41 and a half wins. They will not win 40 games. They will not get close to the playoffs. They will not be in contention for the playoffs. There's nothing wrong with that, mm. but they will improve. They will get better. They will have some players who won't be able to play a full season despite getting paid like they should. However, they will be tweeting out very entertaining things in the playoffs rather than playing in the playoffs. That I mean, how many bets are locks for us now? I have one more question for you. Speaking of over-unders, yes. over-under on how many games Joel Embiid will play this season? Oh, I reckon you could put the over-under at half, 41 games. Mm-hmm. I think that I is really the question. 41. Yeah. I think if the over over under was forty one games, I would probably take the over. Ooh. But I would take the over, imagining that he might be playing forty five games. Yeah, that's a scary. Don't day. I don't yeah I don't think he's going to be playing a lot. But again, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. This is not something that they need to be going into thinking about. We have to make the playoffs and win, or even they don't have to be at the stage that Milwaukee was at last year. Well, they made the playoffs and lost competitively in round one to the uh, to the Raptors. Mm. I, th- I think that's all that needs to be said about the 76ers. Ben Simmons looked good. Ben Simmons looked good. Yes. And JJ Redick will help them. And they have decent coaching. And they have the talent at the moment, albeit young, to succeed in the future. Oklahoma City debuted their big three today their new big three, and, uh, you know, part of me thought that the combination of Westbrook, Paul George, and Mello could be a bit of a train wreck. Like, everyone needs the ball a lot. They're all kind of prone to a bit of pouting when things aren't going their way. I got kind of nervous for them, but the game ended, and they had a very, very even share of the scoring. I think they all ended up with about 20 points um, they all looked right. good, looked productive. Westbrook got his triple-double, but no one's game kind of suffered for it. Paul George was good on defense. Like, I mean, Could this thing actually work? This thing actually could work if Westbrook does what he did against the Knicks um, and if they play the Knicks every game through the playoffs as well. Mm. Uh, if yeah, they play the Knicks every the single Knicks. week... No, if they play the Knicks every single week without Melo... Well, you know, this is the Knicks with Tim Hardaway and his enormous contract. When they could have had him, uh, they could have had him on a dime like two years ago before he went to. Yeah, Atlanta. absolutely. Yeah, before they traded him away and then yes. took him back. Yes. Um, Russell Westbrook had twelve shot attempts. No way. Russell Westbrook was seven for twelve from the field. He did go to the free throw line ten times. Mm, wow. um, so. That that that, that night. seven shot yeah. attempts. When's the last time that happened? The Jesus. So he, no, so he had twelve. Right, twelve but, shot attempts, seven mates. Yeah, but and part of that is dictated by the fact that he went for a few shots. That when he got fouled, obviously he went to the free throw line and took Didn't a free throw instead of a yeah. shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the field goal number is slightly uh, incorrect. However, yeah. if Westbrook is having twelve shot attempts and getting to the free throw line five to ten times, and he's allowing 
Mello and Paul George to have 20 and 23 shots combined each. They will be successful, absolutely. And how many you the, got like 15 assists as well, Russ? Like, yep. this is the thing people forget. Yeah. He put up a 21-10-16 line with only 12 shot attempts. Look at that. I, I did feel bad for Pazingas today because he looked very good in the first half and then absolutely gassed and out of the game in the second. Yeah, well, he needs some big man help other than Ennis Cantor. Oh, Ennis. Yeah. Are you scared of the Thunder if you are another West team because of those or four out of their five starters being Robeson, Adams, Westbrook and George? Those four as a starting unit on defense, in playoffs, in crunch situations, I'd be a little bit scared. I'd be really scared because, number one, yes, they can play lockdown defense. Uh, and number two, I feel like on any given night, one of those big three guys could like go for 40 points. And it doesn't really matter what you do because it's not as though you're going to double-team Paul George and leave one of Mello or Westbrook open. Like, you kind of... You, you lost it at that point. So, you know, I think they're a real threat. I think as with last year, their bench is going to be their Achilles heel and it'll probably dictate how far they go in the playoffs unless the superstars just put the entire team on their shoulders. Yeah, and the bench will be will be crap and they'll probably lose a few games throughout the season. They'll lose a few back-to-backs. They'll lose a few on the road. They'll, they'll lose some games that cost them positions or higher positions in the playoffs. Um, I still believe they're going to finish in the top four in the West, but you're right, they're going to cost themselves a few games just because of their bench. Uh, but look, come playoff time, that is a lineup that, hey, if you want to sit off Russ and block passing lanes and get closer to Paul George and Mello, well, he's just going to get ahead of steam up and come at you and either yeah. do that crazy deceleration pull-up that he has or go to the basket? But look, the elephant in the room, and I think as with last year, it'll show itself in the playoffs, is the fact that Andre Robeson can't shoot. Like, they can play four on five in defense, opposition teams, and not, and not break a sweat. Robeson is, isn't and will not magically develop into a threat or someone worth guarding. Uh, so no, he was he was 0 for two in this first game. Yes, he doesn't and want to shoot. No one wants him to shoot. No, he doesn't want to shoot. But it's an interesting case that if they end up facing the Mavericks, who are probably the most zone happy team going around in the West, if the Mavericks somehow manage to get into the playoffs, which they won't, they will not. But if any other team managed to copy the Mavericks and go a little zone heavy against them, you do have Russ. Adams and Robeson all on the court at the same time. And it would be interesting to see if teams would play or pay a little bit of attention to George and, and Mello, but then zone up on all the other three, and if that is going to stagnate them in the playoffs. I think that'll be the question. But in the meantime, I very much look forward to them being a very entertaining league pass, regular season team, much watch, uh, must watch, I think. Uh, they're just a whole bunch of fun, and they were fun last year to watch Russ kind of ball hog and uh, push people out of the way to make sure he got his 10th rebound. Um, but this year, they look legit, and I think they're going to be very, very entertaining. Especially big games. If you ever want to watch OKC, wait for them to play Golden State, wait for them to play Houston, wait Hell for yeah. them to play the Clippers Hell or yeah. San Antonio. Mm. 
when you if you want to watch OKC, watch those three players play up against some of the bigger bigger franchises going around, and that'll be entertaining. Agreed. Um, earlier this afternoon here in Australian time, um, we saw the very first uh, very first game of at Alonso Ball. Um, it was an extraordinarily boring game. The Lakers were never really in it. Um, Lonzo ended the game with three points, nine rebounds, and four assists. He shot 16.7% from the field. Um, I don't know. He, to me, he looked like a rookie. He looked like a rookie with a really good attitude and maybe got a little bit flustered when Pat Beverly did the whole like bulldog rabid defense thing on him but I don't know I think people have had way too high expectations for this kid out of the gates though like you know show us a 2010 and 5 tonight but he looked all right it was just a bit underwhelming and the Lakers in general are underwhelming yeah and he'll look he'll get more assists when he doesn't have Lou Deng and Brooke Lopez <laughs> as his two best players um, forget about Brad and Ingram. I like Lopez. I mean, I know, but better. Brooke Lopez took five threes. Yeah, no, he was all What's right. It was, he shot thirty-five percent last year from three. Like he can take okay. those, but I feel like he shouldn't be forcing those on any night. Yeah, Brooke Lopez doesn't need to be hitting five threes a night. Um, would you rather have Austin Rivers one for eleven night in twenty-six minutes? Uh, or Lonzo Ball's one for six night in 29 minutes? I think Lonzo Ball at his best from what I've seen of his college game and his summer league and his preseason, Lonzo Ball actually improves the play of the players around him. Austin Rivers has a habit of like sucking the soul out of any room that he's in when he's playing shit. Like he can get people very excited, but he can fucking like ruin the vibe in a room. Like it makes me want to switch (laughs) off a game sometimes. Yeah, so 25,000 people in Staples Center. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> well, and why, everyone else watching, yeah. Well, that's why Milos started. And I like Milos. He looked like, um, for, for those who don't know, Milos, what, how is it, Teodosic. 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 Yeah. Come out of Serbia, a 30-year-old rookie. <laughs> Watch this fucking guy's YouTube highlight reel. He throws the oh, yeah. sickest passes. So... Uh, I've tuned into this game, number one, to watch Lonzo, number two, to watch Milos. Um, and, you know, he was like, he looked a little bit lost at the start. He was like putting up his hand and waving his hands, trying to get the ball. And he, he rushed a few shots. But overall, I thought he was very, very entertaining to watch. Um, if like a little bit shot happy. Someone who was even more entertaining to watch, though, and I think... Another maybe top three, top five MVP candidate was Blake Griffin, who was like unbelievable. Yeah, Shot 50% from the field, 50% from three. Yeah. Uh, he ended with 29 points, 29 12 rebounds, points. and, you know, three assists, two steals. I think he's unbelievable as a player, and he's proved it again. Yeah, and we forget that a few years ago he was in the top five in MVP, MVP voting. Um, and this is a guy who's had a lot of his career interrupted by injury at really poor times. Sometimes um, self-inflicted injury. Sometimes self-inflicted when he doesn't like the equipment manager and wants to punch him in the face. Um, but I don't know, look, man. We, if he's we not know... punching anyone in the face, I can see him doing incredible things this year. 
if he can shoot like that, mm. I, mean, I know we all want him to go back to dunking every single play back in his rookie, or he's not his rookie, his second year in the league. Mm. But we also know that long-term, that's physically not good for him. Um, and if a Blake Griffin can threaten with his athleticism while still hitting 50% from three, 40% from three, then how do you stop him? Mm. That is the question. I think his teammates, kind of like a few other players have talked about it today, his teammates are going to be the ones that stop him um, from getting where he needs to get to. But well, DeAndre uh, did his job. Yeah, DeAndre did his job. He cleaned up the glass, twenty-four boards. Yeah, and he hit Jesus. and he hit five from ten. And for the first time I've ever seen in the history or the career of DeAndre Jordan, one hundred percent from the free throw line. So, four for four. Yes, I saw his first two, and you know, the commentators on TNT were losing their shit. But I didn't realize he hit another two. That's very impressive, DJ. Hats off. Yeah, this is this How might be, and this is where hey. I would like someone to pass a message to us or something is have Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan ever finished 100% from the free throw line combined in a game before? Well, they they did one between them. They did not miss one between them against the Lakers. Holy shit, man. We should enter the lottery today. Good things are happening today. I can feel it. Um, So yeah, Clippers are looking very intriguing. Um, Always interested to see how they transition in the, the post CP3 era, I don't personally think he's that big a loss for what they want to do in this league. I think, I think they can ad- adapt, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, what's your, uh, what's your floor and ceiling for Lonzo ball? Because I think his floor based on reports and based on little glimpses, his floor should be Ricky Rubio. Yes. I was going to say, um, peak, his floor, his floor could be like Rajon Rondo. And think about this carefully because Rajon Rondo had nights where he went for like literally 40 points and shot really well, but those were yeah. freak aberrations. But he also, you know, had a, a streak of 10 plus assist games. Um, you wouldn't be surprised to see him go for 15, 18 assists some nights. But there was always a bit of a question mark about, oh, you know, we can leave this guy wide open. That's fine. I think that that is a realistic outcome for him. And I'm not saying he's going to lead a team to a championship in his first couple of years in the league. But, you know, I think I've seen enough out of him to be like, yeah, this guy can dish the ball really well. He's got good handles and he can't shoot. You think he'll end up having a better career than Rondo? I know it's early, but... Um... No, we don't know. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen, think, but would you hope? Or I, I think that Rondo never reached his full potential. Yeah. I think, and I still feel sad for him. And he's one of those, like, you know, those redemption stories you always want to happen. And, you know, when the Bulls looked like they were going to knock out the Celtics clean in the first round last year, I'm like, oh, you know, good Best for Rondo. Best two games. Yep. Best two games of last season. Best two games of your life. Um, no, I, I root for Rajon Rondo, but I think he has unfulfilled potential. I think many of his coaches would say the same thing. Um, he's a frustrating player. So, look, I would hope that Lonzo, with his extraordinarily gifted skill set, he's got incredible size. Like, he is, is a threat in a lot of ways. I would hope that he could, um, you know, surpass Rajon Rondo's career. Yeah, definitely. 
that's me speaking as you know i'm not a, i'm not being a hater on lonzo for some reason maybe because the lakers are just so shit it'd be mean to be a hater it's fun it's fun to care about a rookie yeah, it's true, and you do hope the best for these players to try and get the most out of them, but sometimes other factors contribute to them not reaching whatever potential they have. Adam G, are you ready to do our East and West Top 8 and our predictions for the I am NBA ready. Awards? Absolutely, I am ready. I am ready with my East and West Top 8. Which one would you like me to start with? Let's let's start with the East because it's so much less interesting. Let's get it out of the way. Let me know what's happening. And this is in a post-Gordon Hayward world. Yes, this is post-Gordon Hayward world. Should I? I will go from eight to one. Okay, let's see. Uh, Detroit's going to make it into the playoffs. Stan Van Gundy's going to keep his job. Uh, Miami will sneak in in seventh. The Dwight Howard-led cancerous Charlotte Bobcats. And Hornets, both of them, will uh, make the playoffs in sixth. And Boston will be in fifth seed of the East. Mm -hmm. That's the best Brad Stevens will be able to do with you guys. And then my top four in the East come the end of the season will be Toronto. Will he get the four seed? Milwaukee, Washington, and Cleveland will somehow, despite not trying on defense for an entire season, they will still finish with the number one seed due to their insane depth. I think that's a very reasonable top eight. I've, I'm a little bit um, lower on the Raptors than the average person. I think yeah. they looked a bit broken in the playoffs last year um, and weren't particularly good at stringing things together in the regular season. So I think they could, they could dip a little bit further down than where you've put them. Um, but yeah, I think th- those are going to be the eight teams. I can't imagine Atlanta doing anything meaningful. Philadelphia, yeah, I I, I want to believe they can get the eighth seed. I want to believe. I, you know, I'm trusting the process on that one. But everyone else is going to be garbage. Yeah, and the teams, yeah, the teams we're believing won't be in contention really are the Knicks, Pacers, and Magic, um, and as well. Oh, well, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Nets, they're all going to be finishing with 25 wins and less. So uh, don't watch their games. If you ever see on ESPN or free TV here or any time you get a chance to watch the Nets, the Hawks or the Bulls, turn it off. Yeah, you can do better things with three hours of your time. Yeah, Can we quickly mention that uh, Bulls forward Bobby Portis decided to punch... Uh, other Bulls forward, Nikola Mirotic, in the jaw. Yeah, and Nikola Mirotic has a severely fractured jaw, had surgery apparently, and is out four to six weeks, might be more, and Bobby Portis has been suspended as well. Have you got any gossip as to how that happened? I haven't followed the reporting on this one. I just That's an unbelievable story. Look, fights in NBA locker rooms and fights in NBA practice happen quite often because Stuff this is happen. yeah this is very competitive players going up against each other and especially when you're getting paid to be on the Bulls and you hate life because you are on the Bulls <laughs> and your coach is the worst coach in the league fire garpacks di- yeah the fire garpacks please the difference is that when you're on the Bulls those players go for the punch because they don't care about the season anyway whereas <laughs> at the at the Cavs or the Rockets or wherever they are, that fight, the players eventually realize, wait, wait, we might make the playoffs, my hands are my tools, 
I cannot afford to injure these these hands or break my wrist or whatever might happen. So what you're saying in a career sense for those ball players is that they have nothing to live for. No, not this year. That's tough. That's tough. I wonder how um, Denzel Valentine feels about that assessment. I feel sorry for that Bulls team. Like, Adam B, their over-under is 22 wins for the season. Jesus. I am, I am almost confident enough to lock them as an under. We're going to be putting down a lot of money after this podcast. Oh, we are. We're going to be losing a lot of money under, after <laughs> oh, this podcast as well. No but I, I think I think the Bulls can compete with the uh, ten and seventy two seventy sixes. I think the seventy sixes will finish above the Bulls. They got far more talent on uh, that. Team. Yeah, this year. I mean that that seventy sixes team from a few years oh, ago that managed oh, ten wins. Oh, oh, I don't know. They're going to be playing a lot of Eastern Conference teams. Don't forget. Um, I guess if they beat the Hawks five times and beat the Nets yeah, five no, times. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, that's yeah. 10 wins, yeah. And also, another yeah. shout-out to Jeremy Lin, who who did his knee in horrible circumstances and was it was a really terrible scene to watch. And, um, you know, now that the Celtics yeah. have been relieved of the, the Nets pick, I don't root for their misery anymore. And I was very sorry, uh, sorry to see someone like Jeremy Lin go down in the first game of the season. I mean, you yeah. know, and for terrible, those, yeah, terrible. for those who missed it, um, Patel a tendon injury, and yeah, Jeremy Lin is out for the season with the ruptured Patel tendon. Mm. Um, and it's a pretty horrific way to start with uh, two uh, nice young players. Yeah, genuinely both being injured. nice guys. Yeah. Yeah. Both yeah. being injured in the opening nights of the season and out for the season and both their careers looking like taking a different course after this. Yeah. No. Shout out to Jeremy Lynn. Quick recovery. Let's let's move on to the West. Give me your top eight. Okay. Top eight in the West. Denver's gonna sneak in. Mm-hmm. Shout out to uh, my man and your bro Hayden Badawi. Shout out HB. Good luck. HB. You got Paul Millsap uh, now. Anything's possible with Paul Millsap. Anything's possible with Paul Millsap, including an eight seed. <laughs> uh, the Grizzlies will make the playoffs. They will finish in the seventh seed. They will end up playing one of those top Western Conference teams like they always do, yeah. giving them an absolute painful moment yeah, so here or there. A couple of scares. They might steal a yes. game. Yeah. They might even get into a seven-game series with the Thunder or the Rockets or the Spurs or whoever it is, um, and then they'll lose. Portland will finish in sixth. Uh, the Clippers will manage to just get edged out for the four seed. The Clippers will be the fifth seed. With The Spurs will just pip them to the four seed, and our top three in the West is Golden State, Oklahoma, and Houston. We'll wow, finish in the Oklahoma third seed. Second. The Thunder will finish with the second seed uh, because during the regular season with the limited amount of time, often it is not coaching. Often it is not uh, anything other than sheer talent on the court and they have enough to win enough games. Speaking of winning enough games, my, one other thing... That, oh, pardon me. One other thing that jumped out was, you know, for the Clippers... Doc Rivers-led teams have a habit of taking their foot off the pedal like a quarter of the way through the regular season and kicking themselves and being like, oh, we should have been a higher seed, but here we are. We've got a, we got a shitty matchup now. 
So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Clippers, especially in that transition phase, especially relying so much on Blake and kind of being point guardless. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them finish, you know, sixth or even seventh uh, if they take yeah. their foot off the pedal as they sometimes do. Yeah, and do you think do you think a lot of teams are doing that nowadays in both like October and November and and I guess moving towards treating this starting period more like a preseason and taking their pedal off mm. now rather than mm. later? Yeah, the shortened preseason is interesting. I mean, last year I'm not sure I've seen a more dramatic regular season to playoff turnaround than what I saw of the Cavs. You thought, I thought confidently I had seen who they were as a team in the regular season. They had a number of close match, uh, matchups with my Celtics. You'd seen their best, you'd seen their worst, you'd seen their nights where they're just chucking and they're lazy on defense, you'd seen their nights when they're locked in. I thought I knew them. But as soon as the playoffs started, their intensity and their ability to gel as a team and be disciplined, I, they, they fucking blew everyone out of the water the whole way through the East. And that just might be the way that smart teams play the regular season now. It's like, okay, we know where we're going to end up. We know where we want to get to. Let's do the bare minimum to get there. Sure, we're going to learn our fucking plays. We're going to, you know, have a couple of rivalries here and there. But shit starts at the playoffs and that's when we'll begin. Yeah, and that's why I think the real season begins in December for some teams or even in January after that Christmas uh, period for other Mm. teams. Mm. for the very few teams that have players that have been in the league for a long time, so really veteran teams like the Cavs, their season won't start till after the All-Star break in February. I completely buy into that. Adam G, what I'd like to go into now to wrap up our podcast is the NBA Award predictions. So we're going to go most valuable player, most improved player, sixth man, rookie of the year, um, and if you want to, if you want to go into a coach of the year, oh, we could go into a coach of the year. I think I know who my choices are going to be already. Go on MVP. MVP. I think I know which team this is going to come from, and we know it comes from winning teams. And I'd love to see a miraculous season from Giannis and the Bucks, but I don't believe they're going to win enough games to get him enough votes for the MVP. Um, this might be one of those Joakim Noah fifth place or fourth place finishes in the MVP voting. Mm. I think you're going to see your MVP come from Golden State. Wow. And I think they're going to win again. I think they're going to finish on top again. And I think KD and Steph are going to underwhelm. And I think as long as this knee injury isn't serious, I think people are going to move towards Draymond and voting for Draymond. And recognizing he's num- the blue guy. And I think his numbers are going to back it up. I think they're going to really push getting him the ball early, getting him the ball before he crosses half court and allowing him to really take control of the team on the offensive end as he's already taken control on the defensive end. Well, wow. I think that he is going to do enough to be able to win. Okay. I think that that team is going to absolutely cannibalize one another for votes yet again and rob each other of the chance to be MVP. Uh, 
I think that won't change. My my MVP vote, uh, vote. I think Russell Westbrook's going to be a threat, but I'm putting my money behind a newly fit James Harden. Maintain that body fat percentage, my man. Maintain that speed. I think he's finally going to get that MVP he wanted. All right, shall we write this down here? Yeah, yeah. I'm writing it down. I'm yeah, we should note this down. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. All right, next award. Um, okay. So, most improved player. I've got mine in the back of my head. Um, I think it could be Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I think that... So, who was it last year? Was it not uh, Giannis? We might need some listener to actually help us with that. Yeah, he won it last year. So, last year was Giannis. On that kind of form, I think that... Carl Anthony Towns could take a massive leap this year. More confidence, more ball usage. He's got more veteran presence in the locker room. So you might start to see those kind of like key leader moments come out of KAT that you, you haven't seen frequently. I think he has a huge potential to take the leap this year and I would put my money on him winning most improved. You? He would if he didn't have Jimmy Butler stealing too many uh, numbers from him, which a lot of voters look at. And if he didn't have uh, Jimmy Butler stealing just some general attention away from him. Mm. So you think Butler would work to his detriment? Do you think Butler will be good for him full stop in a non-award sense? I think Butler will be good for him as a player and as a teammate and on defense and in terms of understanding Tibbs' scheme and how he wants things run because Jimmy loves Tibbs. That loves is Tibbs. absolute absolutely. Um, but I think it will be detriment to him for winning winning an award and winning the most improved award. And I think it will go to Bradley Beal. Wow. Non injured Bradley Beal shooting consistently well is a terrifying thought. Remember in the playoffs, was it game six? Uh it was one Celtics. of the, I think so, yeah. And Bradley Beal went absolutely crazy on offense. Yes, he Just, killed us. In the same way that he we, he did us huge favors in game two, he killed us a little bit later in the series. And that was the, that was my thing with him. I'm like, you're so inconsistent. I kind of don't mind if you shoot it right now. Yeah, but that's the thing. And improvement. I, yeah, and there is room for improvement because no one's seen it for long enough because he's been injured. And there comes a point in every player's or every injury-prone player's life where they tend to get over this because they change something, they change their habits, they change their off-the-court habits, they change their training regime, they change they, or they learn how to manage their body better. And we've seen it with Steph Curry, and I'm not saying Bradley Beal is going to become Steph Curry, but he was a similarly injury-prone player. Do yes. people doubt it? Yeah. And they both have immense talent. The issue hasn't been their talent. The issue has been other factors like injury. And yeah. Bradley Beal will win it. I think more broadly, I have to say, Washington has that thing where they've improved every year for a couple of years and they've kept the core of their team very much similar Um and that consistency and continuity, I think, is going to become a, a secret weapon in NBA rosters. 
there has been so much dramatic change in so many rosters around the league that I think at some point, chemistry, continuity, knowing your teammates is going to become an unfair advantage. And I think in the East, especially, Washington are that team, they're going to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know I have them and I said that I had them as my number two seed. But for their 48 win over under, they are a lock for the over. They are a 50 win team. And yeah. if there's anyone that is going to threaten Cleveland for that number one seed, it will be Washington. And it doesn't mean they're going to go through the East. But if there's anyone that overperforms in the East and finishes a number one seed, maybe 55, 56 wins, I believe it can be our Washington professional basketball team. The Washington professional basketball team. Sixth man of the year. My call is Lou Williams because I think he's going to be absolutely filthy that he missed out last year. Uh, I think that there are other really nice contenders. Don't get me wrong. I think there are some threats out there. I think Marcus Smart seems to think he wants to be sixth man of the year. Um, but it's going to be Lou Williams. He's going to come off. He's going to win the Clippers a bunch of games they don't deserve to win because they were lazy for, you know, 38 out of 48 minutes, and he's going to get what he wanted so badly. I thought we'd agree on at least one of these individual awards. I know. Um, But it's a guy I've already mentioned, and it's a guy who's already become fit instead of fat, and it's Eric Gordon. You love Eric Gordon. Not only will he win it because he will play well, and he started the season in his first two games with 20-point performances in both both of those games, but he'll also get votes because all the turmoil that's going to go on between Chris Paul and the fit with the team, people are going to want the other thing, which is Eric Gordon. He is the other option. And just by him, but just by Chris Paul not fitting entirely correctly with James Harden, and Eric Gordon being an awesome option off the bench, he's going to get a few more votes and win sixth man. Could there be a flaw in your plan, Adam G? If the fit between Harden and Chris Paul ends up being an absolute fucking disaster, is there not a chance that Eric Gordon gets brought on to start? Could he end up starting more games that he doesn't start or splitting them in a way that disqualifies him from that award? Can you imagine Mike D'Antoni benching Chris Paul without losing his job? I know, Chris. I, that, that's something I've seen whispers about already. It's like, how long is D'Antoni going to keep his job when Chris Paul was unhappy? I think we do have to realize that Chris Paul is still very good. He still had, in a poor performance, he managed to have 11 assists and get Steph Curry into four fouls very early in and that game. And he had a bung knee. Correct. Correct. And he had a bung knee which I still think is bullshit and them covering up. But let's say, just say he had a bung knee. And he's thick but and able to set screens. We know he's thick. He's very thick. Not as thick as Aaron Baines, but still very thick. If you want to see thick, you've got to check out Gershon Yabaselli, the Celtics uh, rookie out of France. Looks like a good screen setter, let's put it that way. Has that been Danny Ainge's entire recruitment strategy this year? Just recruit thick big men? Man, like, he's got one of the biggest asses I've ever seen on an NBA player, Gershon, and I cannot wait to see him play. He's missed their first two games, um, but I, I'm very excited to watch him. Yeah, and I bet Tommy Heinsohn's excited to watch him in the showers after as well. No doubt about that. Shout out to Tommy. Keep on doing what you do. Adam G, wrap it up with the coach of the year. I think this is going to be very predictable, and I think it's going to go to Steve Kerr. 
again, we disagree. And it's, again, because I think he's going to be arrogant. And uh, I know coaches who have done this, and I've had moments where I've done this personally, where you win enough and you believe in your own hype and you actually start making poor mistakes and uh, you start getting complacent. Are you going to say Scotty Brooks? You know I thought about it. (laughs) You know I considered it. (laughs) However, You could not have watched that playoff series last year and honestly think Scotty Brooks is going to get an award uh, for coaching. I, I... remember that playoff series very well and how much how frustrated i was and you know how frustrated i get with other coaches performing poorly i know and you wanted the celtics to lose so badly you're like scotty what are i know fucking and i hate i hate poor coaching yes. and i hate complacent coaching and overconfident coaching and steve kerr is going to fit into one of those categories being overconfident however Coach of the year will still go to, uh, not still, will go to Jason Kidd. Wow. Okay, look, you, we want to dub the Bucks our dark horse, then there's no better man to get behind. And look, and for those, yeah, for those who don't know, Jason Kidd, head coach of the Bucks, um, who might not necessarily uh, be out there very often or necessarily do too much, but some coaches end up being good because all they do is they do not take away from their team or they do not take away from their players. They might be a neutral, they might be a net 1% positive, but there are a lot of coaches in the NBA and out there in all sports, professional and amateur, who actually hinder players and teams and put more harm than good. <laughs> and Jay- yeah. <laughs> And... Jason Kidd is going to do his job and do his job well and allow his team to be the best they possibly can and allow Giannis to lead them to as many wins as possible and he'll win Coach of the Year for it. I don't like Ange Postacoglu. I do like Jason Kidd. And I still remember fondly when he asked one of his players to to spill a drink all over the side court so they could get an extra timeout in a playoff game. So shout out to Jason Kidd. Good luck, my friend. Adam G, I think we can wrap this thing up. That was a very good first podcast. I'm not sure they're all going to be this long, guys. So if, if it was a bit drudgerous, like, you know, we had to start off. We had a lot to get off our, off our chests after a long break. But welcome back. We hope you enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it, Adam G? I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's been too long. Uh, we'll definitely say that it won't be this long between now and the next podcast, we although we can't that. make any promises. We will say that at the very least. However, we're excited now. The season started. Um, I think, despite being sad with Hayward's loss, I think you're still mildly excited by the season starting. Hell yeah. And I think we can start getting into the fact that this is the best part of the year when NBA's on, NFL's on, soccer's on around the world, and, uh, and the weather's good as well. You can't complain about that, can you? All right, Adam G., thank you so bloody much. You're a star. I love you. And to our listeners, keep on doing your thing. We're glad you're here and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much, Adam B. Bye, Adam B.